Let's all stand together. Acts number 24. We're going to look at this chapter this morning. Uh, we're going to focus on verse, beginning at verse 24. Uh, we'll read down to verse 27 this morning. And let's just all, let's read all four verses together in unison today. Acts 24, beginning in verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener, and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. I read of a, I read of a businessman. Uh, he was clearing out his office desk, and he found a ticket from where he was going to have some shoes repaired. Crazy thing is that that ticket was 10 years old. And he just wondered, I wondered if they still have my shoes. And so he thought, I have nothing else to lose. So he took the ticket down to the shoe repair store. He gave it to the owner who looked at the ticket and went to the very back room. He was in there for a few minutes and he finally came out and he handed the ticket back to the businessman. And he said... I kind of figured you probably no longer have my shoes. And he says, no, they're back there. They'll be ready Friday. <laughs> yeah. We have a habit of putting things off, don't we? How many things do we have that we planned on doing, and now it's years, and it's still undone, right? Well, if you're in a habit of underlining your Bible, I want you to go back to verse 25 with me. And I want you to look in the middle of the verse, after it says Felix trembled and answered, I want you to see his response to the Apostle Paul. And you can underline the rest of that verse where it begins, Go thy way for this time, and when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. The title of this morning's message is Some Other Time. Some Other Time. Father, I need your help today. Lord, our church needs your help today. Lord, there are a number of people who are stirred. Their hearts are stirred. They're on fire for you. They're growing. There are some others, Lord, who are really facing some hard times. Lord, they're not leaping for joy because of the burdens that they're carrying, the valleys that they're walking through, and that's okay. Lord, I pray for them to have strength at this time. Lord, you know our hearts and you know what every one of us needs today. And as we continue through the book of Acts and we pick up here in chapter 24, again, Father, I'm not here to deliver a speech. I'm here to preach a message 
And I pray that you will enable me, not with my ability to speak or my mind to think, but that you'll empower me with your spirit. That I might say with your blessing and your power behind it, all that needs to be said today. I am weak, but you are strong. And I trust you with the hearts of every one of us. We pray this in the name of our Savior. And in the power of that name we pray. Amen. You remember last week, we were in chapter 23. We were there both in the morning and in the evening service. You'll remember that Paul stood before Claudius Lysias, the, the chief captain of the guard there in Jerusalem. You'll remember that Paul had to face the council, the Sanhedrin, the, uh, his accusers, and there was very little that came from that other than just more accusations. Remember in verse number 11 where the Lord came and stood beside Paul and told him to be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And those words, be of good cheer, simply mean for Paul to take courage, to find strength in the Lord's presence and in the Lord's will for his life. He was not going to face anything alone, but God was going to be there every step of the way with him. We read in the, uh, the evening service of how, the, how there was a group of individuals who had made a conspiracy, 40 men, in fact, who had, who had given themselves under a great curse that would, they would not eat or drink of anything until they had assassinated Paul. And those, that, uh, that plan had reached the ears of Paul's nephew, who came, to the chief, who came to Paul and when he was in, uh, in the hold and let him know the news. And Paul instructed him to go uh, to, to talk to the centurion. And the centurion delivered the message, as uh, delivered the young man to uh, Claudius Lysias, the chief captain, and told him of what they were planning. And so by night, the chief captain decided to get Paul out of there. And sent him on to Caesarea, where he would uh, be underneath the Roman governor, uh, Felix. And so by night, there were, I believe, 467 soldiers who was uh, a part of the caravan. And they delivered Paul. They went part of the way that evening. Uh, they went the rest of the way to Caesarea uh, during the day. And that is where we pick up in chapter 24. And there are three points to the message. And I want to get quickly through the first two because I really want to focus on the third one. And the points are this, the prosecution, the defense, and the dismissal. Very simple points. And there's going to be some sub-points that go with them. But first of all, we see in verses 1 through 9, the prosecution delivers their case. Five days after they had delivered Paul to Felix, Ananias, the high priest, and the elders came along with a wonderful gifted speaker by the name of 
Tertullus. He was more likely a politician. Some say that he was a lawyer. He was someone who made a living with speaking. And so rather than the high priest and the elders be the one who stood before the Roman governor, they had this particular man to deliver their case. And he begins out in verses 2 through 4 with a flattering opening statement. And I'm going to tell you something. I've learned this over the years. A little bit of encouragement is great, but when people go start exaggerating with flattery, you better watch out. And you'll see that here in verses 2 through 4. Oftentimes we respond to that with, what do you want? All right, tell me what you want now. Because we know you're not saying this because you mean it. You must want something from me and you're trying to butter me up. Well, in verses 2 through 4, he delivers this opening statement. And I just want to read it so you can understand the context and all that is happening. So follow along with me. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, man. That's what I say to it. They don't care about that Roman governor. They want the Roman authority to be dismissed from their nation. But he's opening them up and he says, verse 3, we, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding I, that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us, hear us of thy clemency a few Words. I'm glad that God saves politicians and lawyers. Amen? But my goodness, y'all know I don't have to say anything else. Right? I'm glad that God saves us all. Amen? I mean, he delivers that, and it is just a bunch of buttering up. It's just a bunch of fluff. Now he gets to really the heart of the matter and the accusations are made in verse 5. Remember this, Claudius Lysias, he's trying to figure out what do we charge Paul with? He's heard Paul's defense. He's heard some, uh, the council say some things about him and he says, you know, I've got to deliver him to my superiors. What am I going to charge him with? He doesn't even know. And he finally was able to escape that because of the conspiracy. And so he just wrote a letter to Felix and sent him on. And now it's Felix's problem. And Claudius just leaves and has nothing to do with it. He wipes his hands clean. Well, they present the charges, the accusation in verse 5. You see, he says, For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. Well, there's a personal charge. They don't like his character. They don't like him. Vance Havner always said that whenever Paul entered a town, there was either a riot or a revival. There's a lot of truth to that. He says, we have found this man a pestilent fellow. Well, there's a personal accusation. Then we see a political accusation. And a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. Oh, he's a big troublemaker. He's causing people to to uh, get out of order. And then you see a theological accusation, a, a criticism of him. And he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And then he follows that up 
in verses 6 through 9 with a witness of lies. He says in verse 6, Who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. Well, I'm going to say this. Go back and read it. Paul did not profane the temple. The whole reason they found him in the temple is because James and the others told him that there was some four there was four individuals who needed to go to the temple to be cleansed. They were there to be they were to be there for 7 days. And they wanted Paul to pay for everything that was necessary. And so Paul followed their way of thinking in order to keep order with everyone. But there was some Asian Jews there that and, and I don't think, think of Asian in the term that we think of it today, but it was uh, the part of Asia outside of Israel where Paul had gone and, and preached uh, the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. And those people that got stirred up, the unbelieving Jews, well, they followed him back and they, they got all the others riled up and began to accuse him. Well, he offers in verse 6 as his as his way of prosecuting, he offers a lie. It's not a truth. And then in verse number 7, Paul deals with it in verse 12. We'll get to that in a minute. In verse 7, they say another lie. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us with a great violence, took him away out of our hands. Lysias didn't bring violence upon the people. Lysias saved Paul from the violence of the people. You understand that? They were, about, they were beating Paul. We're going to judge him according to our law. They don't even give him a trial. They just start beating on him. They just start destroying him. They want to kill him. And, and Lysias, Claudius Lysias saw that uh, there was uh, what they were doing to this man. And he went down and really rescued him. And he wanted to know what they were doing wrong. And he was even willing to scourge him and beat him himself. But Lysias didn't come down and get aggressive with the people. That's just another lie. But you can say that when those people aren't there. Amen. It's easy to say what you want to when somebody's not there to tell the truth. Amen. Verse number 8. He continues, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And then they all the Jews, they stand in agreement in verse 9. The Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. They could, they brought all, they could bring, in a, in a trial today, we think of this, they bring all their witnesses up and everybody stands in agreement. Yep, that's who he is. He's a pestilent fellow. He's a mover of sedition among the Jews. He is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He is a problem with our country and he deserves death. Well, the prosecution rests. And Paul speaks for himself in verse number 10. I'm thankful that Paul's not alone. The Lord's standing by him. And in verse 10, the, then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge in this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. That's his interest. No flattery. He just says, I know you've been a judge for a long time. I'm happy to stand before you. And then he begins to deal with his accusations in verse 11. 
through 13. He says, Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. He's only been back in town for 12 days. Total. He's been, he's been in Caesarea for five of those days. And he says in verse 12, And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. They can't prove any of it. It's lies. But he, does, he offers no denial in verses 14 and 15. But this I confess unto thee. I love this. That after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. As far as my faith in Jesus Christ, as far as me preaching that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day, he says, I got to confess, I am guilty as charged. If they got a problem with that, they're, I'm guilty, I'm wrong. I did that. That is the one thing that I am guilty of. Telling people, telling the world that Jesus came to save sinners. I confess that. He doesn't deny that. Then you'll see no regrets in verses 16 through 21. He says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. That's how every one of us should live our life. I'm not going to pick on Baker. It's you. This is how you should live every day of your life. I picked on Baker last week. I don't have to look away from you because I don't have anything to be ashamed for. And you aren't doing this, but I'm going to use you as an illustration, okay? You can lie about me. You can say all you want to. You can present things. But I want you to know I can look you in the eye before God. And you and I both know I ain't worried about it. It's a good handshake. <laughs> Todd said he's starting to sweat a little bit. <laughs> if you can't do that, then you need to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. Amen? Paul, Paul just addressed, they can't prove any of this. I did not stir up anything in the temple. I did not, I've only been here for 12 days total, and five of them I've been here in Caesarea. The other six days, I was up in the temple. I didn't have time to get a ring, to be a ringleader and cause sedition. I didn't have time to do any of that. They can't prove any of it. 
But if they got a problem with me preaching about the resurrection, which they also preach, I'm guilty. And I can stand before Felix, I can stand before my accusers, I can stand before my judgment, and I can say this, I've done what I know to be right. And I'm more concerned about what God thinks than what you think. Amen? He dealt with having a good conscience last Sunday. He speaks of it again here. People can say what they want to say. And people will always say what they want to say. That is the truth. And most of the time, they don't have all the facts. Because I always tell people, if you want to know, just come ask me. If they won't come talk to me, why not? If I go to talk to them and they don't bring it up, why not? I was meeting with a pastor friend this week, and he ran into a lot of issues with someone. And bless his heart, his daughter married their grandson. And he says, there's been a lot of lies, there's been a lot of things said. And I said, well, how did the wedding go? He says, man, it was tough. He said, you know, I stood up and I said some things about the bride and the groom as groom as the bride's father. And I said some really he, he said what he, he he told me what he said about his now son-in-law. And he gave credit. He says, I believe that this young man has turned out this way because of his parents and his grandparents because of the influence and impact that they have had on his life. And he really lifted those people up who would not even look at him. He said they just sat in a chair and he's over here, would not even look at him. And really, he didn't have to say anything. They were saying enough. He said, we got to the end and people were leaving. And he says, we stood at the door. And he says, I finally made a decision. I said, did you ever talk to them? He says, every time I walked to them, they went the other direction. So he said, I made a decision. I'm going to park right in the door of the building. There was the only way out. The only way out was in this door. He said, I stood right there on the porch and I would not leave. Because I wanted to talk to them. Not, nothing but kindness. And he said, I, I, I took a long time, but they finally got so far, and he says, I, I saw them, and they paused, and they're trying to find a different way out. There wasn't another way out. Finally, they made their way through the door, and he says, Pastor, he says, there was one sidewalk right there. He says, it was a garden, uh, you know, basically a flower garden that went alongside of the, the porch and the sidewalk, and then there was a retaining wall. It was a rock wall. He said, Pastor... He said, they went out that door and actually climbed down the rock wall so that they would not have to talk to me. I just heard this story this week. I just want to share it with you. People do crazy things. Amen? If you hadn't done anything wrong, why are you getting away? 
Somebody needs to hear that. If you haven't done anything wrong, then why are you running away? Have a good conscience before God and all men. Well, I got to move. Somebody need to hear that. Now, after many years, in verse 17, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had aught against me, or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. Now, we get to the last point, the dilemma. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, and let me clarify this, that way is the way of Christianity. It came up earlier in one of the previous chapters. He knows of Christianity. Felix is not ignorant of this. So he's very familiar with the way. Who is the way? Jesus Christ is the way. And so occasionally it's referred to as that way. And so he says here in verse 22, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. Well, Lysias never comes down. So he just puts it off. He procrastinates, says, I'm not going to make a judgment. And he commanded in verse 23 a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. Very, he's not in a prison cell. He's just mainly under house arrest. He can come and, uh, people can come and go and minister to him. Now you get to verse 24. That's Felix's judgment. Now I want us to see Felix's inconvenience. And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla. Now Drusilla, Drusilla is the daughter of King Agrippa who was Herod. He was the Herod who had James killed back in Acts 12. I mentioned it last week. He was the Herod who had Peter under arrest, and because the Jews were excited about what he did to James, he was going to have Peter killed. That was her daddy. Well, she is a Jew. She is familiar with the ways of the Jews. She's familiar with the impact of Christ. And so she wants in on this. She wants to hear what Paul has to say. Her brother is King Agrippa II, who shows up in Acts 26 and 25. We'll get to him later. So, Drusilla's in this. And so, notice here, everybody's gone. It's been a few days. And Felix sends for Paul. And he wants to hear more concerning the faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. So what's that look like? We, we've often said this. Pastor, I, I was standing back there at the pew or my seat, and I was grabbing that seat until my knuckles were white. Or I, I'm, I'm trembling. There's something going on inside of me. I'm, I'm moved. 
you got to do something. Your conscience is bothering you. The spirit is convicting you. There's some things inside of you that needs to respond. And so Felix hears, he's there, he and Drusilla are there because they want to know more about the faith in Jesus Christ. And they hear it, and he no doubt presents the gospel clearly. And now he's left to a place that he must respond. And he answers, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Some other time, preacher. Some other time. How many times have we sat underneath the preaching of God's word and just waited for another time? How many people can testify, I got saved, but it didn't, wasn't, I, didn't, I didn't get saved the first day I was under conviction? I put it off, I put it off. I had a reason, I had what I thought was a good reason. I put it off, and I put it off for another time. George Truitt, I love to read George Truitt's sermons. I love to go back and read behind him. He's a great preacher years ago. Pastor of church in Texas. He often used a particular illustration about demons in hell about how their plan was to keep people from following Christ. One said, tell them there's no God. And Satan says they'll never believe that because everywhere they look, you can tell that God had to create this. Tell them there's no hell. Well, people are smart enough to know that there is a difference between right and wrong and there is punishment. There's rewards and punishments for right and wrong. Finally, one says, I tell you what, the, I tell you the best thing that'll work is let's just go tell them there is a God, there is a Bible, there is a heaven, but there's always plenty of time for it. I will one day, Pastor, I will, one day, not yet, one day, one day, not today, maybe next week. Not yet, not yet. There's always time. There's also always an excuse. Plenty of time. I'm trembling. I'm so stirred by what I heard. I'm so moved. I know that there is something to this. But just go your way. I'll call you at a more convenient time. Now we see in the next verse what his heart, one of, the, one of his excuses. His excuse was, as long as I keep him in the cell here, it can be profitable for me. What shall we gain if we, if we shall gain the whole world and lose our own soul? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The rich young ruler came running to Jesus 
Sir, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Bible says he walked away sorrowfully because he had great possessions. There was an excuse bowing and pleading with God, please. And when God deals with them, I can't do that yet. Now we can understand that in relation to this as far as salvation goes. But what about us as we're born again believers when the Spirit of God comes on us and convicts us and we need to move, we need to act and we say, ah, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, I'll get there. I got some growing to do, right? I'll get there. Can I give you a great example? And I'm going to shut her down. Sometimes people say, and I did this, I was guilty of this. I got to learn all these scriptures before I can be a witness. I was guilty of that. I, I wanted to memorize all these verses. I got to do all this. If you have not gotten anything from our series of Acts, get this. When Paul was facing people, he didn't deliver the Romans road. He delivered his testimony of how he came to Christ every time. And if you don't have that, you need to get saved. But if you've got that, you can tell anybody about Jesus. How many times do we say some other time? And you're not saying it to me. Can I get amen? You're not saying it to me. Quit, quit saying it like you're responding to me. You're not responding to me. After the sermon is over and the invitation is given, it is a call to respond to the Lord. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to the message. You're responding to the Holy Spirit because you recognize there's something, in, there's something there that needs to be dealt with. I'll wait till I get home. I'm worried about what everybody thinks. I'm worried about this crowd. Trembling, the Bible says. He is trembling. A Roman governor. Paul has take, gotten a Roman governor trembling. You ever get scared? Start shaking? Hello? Knees start knocking? It's trembling. And he says, I need you to leave. I'll call you when I'm ready. I'll call you when I'm ready. Let's, let's get, let's bring it real, let's bring it home. He's not telling that to Paul. He's speaking to the Holy Spirit. I'll call you when I'm ready. How many times have you been presented with a gospel and you reject Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Thinking there's, there's more time. How many times as a believer has the Holy Spirit moved in your life and you just sit there some other time. 
I'll call you, Lord, when I'm ready. I think that's a good spot. We'll stop. Pianists come.